Chapter seventy nine of Orley Farm by Anthony Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Leonard Wilson. Chapter seventy nine. Farewell. That letter you got this morning, my dear, was it not from Lady Mason? It was from Lady Mason, father. They go on Thursday. On Thursday? So soon as that? And then Sir Peregrine, who had asked the question, remained silent for a while. The letter, according to the family custom, had been handed to Mrs. Orme over the breakfast-table. But he had made no remark respecting it till they were alone together and free from the servants. It had been a farewell letter, full of love and gratitude, and full also of repentance. Lady Mason had now been for three weeks in London, and once during that time Mrs. Orme had gone up to visit her. She had then remained with her friend for hours, greatly to Lady Mason's comfort, and now this letter had come, bringing a last adieu. "'You may read it, sir, if you like,' said Mrs. Orme, handing him the letter. It was evident by his face that he was gratified by the privilege, and he read it not once only, but over and over again. As he did so, he placed himself in the shade, and sat with his back to Mrs. Orme. But nevertheless she could see that from time to time he rubbed his eyes with the back of his hand, and gradually raised his handkerchief to his face. "'Thank you, dearest,' he said, as he gave the letter back to her. "'I think that we may forgive her now even all that she has done,' said Mrs. Orme. "'Yes, yes, yes,' he answered. "'For myself I forgave her from the first. "'I know you did. "'But as regards the property, it has been given up now.' "'And then again they were silent. "'Edith,' he said, after a while, "'I have forgiven her altogether. "'To me she is the same as though she had never done that deed. "'Are we not all sinners?' "'Surely, father.' and can i say because she did one startling thing that the total of her sin is greater than mine was i ever tempted as she was tempted was my youth made dangerous for me as was hers and then she did nothing for herself she did it all for another we may think of that now i have thought of it always it did not make the sin the less but among her fellow-mortals and then he stopped himself wanting words to express his meaning the sin till it was repented was damning but now that it was repented he could almost love the sinner for the sin edith he said again and he looked at her so wishfully she knew well what was the working of his heart and she knew also that she did not dare to encourage him i trust said mrs orme that she will bear her present lot for a few years and then perhaps ah then i shall be in my grave a few months will do that oh sir why should i not save her from such a life as that from that which she had most to fear she has been saved had she not so chosen it herself she could now have demanded from me a home why should I not give it to her now? A home here, sir? Yes. Why not? 
but i know what you would say it would be wrong to you and perry it would be wrong to yourself sir think of it father it is the fact that she did that thing we may forgive her but others will not do so on that account it would not be right that you should bring her here sir peregrine knew that it would not be right though he was old and weak in body and infirm in purpose his judgment had not altogether left him he was well aware that he would offend all social laws if he were to do that which he contemplated and ask the world around him to respect as lady orme as his wife the woman who had so deeply disgraced herself but yet he could hardly bring himself to confess that it was impossible he was as a child who knows that a coveted treasure is beyond his reach but still covets it still longs for it hoping against hope that it may yet be his own it seemed to him that he might yet regain his old vitality if he could wind his arm once more about her waist and press her to his side and call her his own it would be so sweet to forgive her to make her sure that she was absolutely forgiven to teach her that there was one at least who would not bring up against her her past sin even in his memory as for his grandson the property should be abandoned to him altogether twas thus he argued with himself but yet as he argued he knew that it could not be so i was harsh to her when she told me he said after another pause cruelly harsh she does not think so no if i had spurned her from me with my foot she would not have thought so she had condemned herself and therefore i should have spared her but you did spare her i am sure she feels that from the first to the last your conduct to her has been more than kind and i owed her more than kindness for i loved her yes i loved her and i do love her though i am a feeble old man tottering to my grave yet i love her love her as that boy loves the fair girl for whom he longs he will overcome it and forget it and some other one as fair will take her place but for me it is all over what could she say to him in truth it was all over such love at least as that of which his old heart was dreaming in its dotage there is no medea's cauldron from which our limbs can come out young and fresh and it were well that the heart should grow old as does the body it is not all over while we are with you she said caressing him but she knew that what she said was a subterfuge yes yes i have you dearest he answered but he also knew that that pretense at comfort was false and hollow and she starts on thursday he said on next thursday yes on thursday it will be much better for her to be away from london while she is there she never ventures even into the street edith i shall see her before she goes will that be wise sir perhaps not it may be foolish very foolish but still i shall see her 
I think you forget, Edith, that I have never yet bidden her farewell. I have not spoken to her since that day when she behaved so generously. I do not think that she expects it, father. No, she expects nothing for herself. Had it been in her nature to expect such a visit, I should not have been anxious to make it. I will go to-morrow. She is always at home, you say? Yes, she is always at home. And Lucius? You will not find him there in the daytime. I shall go to-morrow, dear. You need not tell Peregrine. Mrs. Orme still thought that he was wrong, but she had nothing further to say. She could not hinder his going, and therefore, with his permission, she wrote a line to Lady Mason, telling her of his purpose. And then, with all the care in her power, and with infinite softness of manner, she warned him against the danger which she so much feared. What might be the result if, overcome by tenderness, he should again ask Lady Mason to become his wife? Mrs. Orme firmly believed that Lady Mason would again refuse, but nevertheless there would be danger. No, said he, I will not do that. When I have said so, you may accept my word. Then she hastened to apologize to him, but he assured her with a kiss that he was in no wise angry with her. He held by his purpose, and on the following day he went up to London. There was nothing said on the matter at breakfast, nor did she make any further endeavour to dissuade him. He was infirm, but still she knew that the actual fatigue would not be of a nature to injure him. Indeed, her fear respecting him was rather in regard to his staying at home than to his going abroad. It would have been well for him could he have been induced to think himself fit for more active movement. Lady Mason was alone when he reached the dingy little room near Finsbury Circus, and received him standing. She was the first to speak, and this she did before she had even touched his hand. She stood to meet him with her eyes turned to the ground, and her hands tightly folded together before her. "'Sir Peregrine,' she said, "'I did not expect from you this mark of your kindness.' "'Of my esteem and affection, Lady Mason,' he said. "'We have known each other too well to allow of our parting without a word. "'I am an old man, and it will probably be for ever.' "'Then she gave him her hand and gradually lifted her eyes to his face. "'Yes,' she said, "'it will be for ever. "'There will be no coming back for me.' "'Nay, nay, we will not say that.' That's as may be hereafter. But it will not be at once. It had better not be quite at once. Edith tells me that you go on Thursday. Yes, sir, we go on Thursday. She had still allowed her hand to remain in his, but now she withdrew it, and asked him to sit down. Lucius is not here, she said. He never remains at home after breakfast. He has much to settle as to our journey, and then he has his lawyers to see. Sir Peregrine had not at all wished to see Lucius Mason, but he did not say so. "'You will give him my regards,' he said, and tell him that I trust that he may prosper. "'Thank you. I will do so. It is very kind of you to think of him.' 
I have always thought highly of him as an excellent young man. And he is excellent. Where is there any one who could suffer without a word as he suffers? No complaint ever comes from him. And yet I have ruined him. No, no, he has his youth, his intellect, and his education. If such a one as he cannot earn his bread in the world, I and more than his bread, who can do so? Nothing ruins a young man but ignorance, idleness, and depravity. Nothing, unless those of whom he should be proud disgrace him before the eyes of the world. Sir Peregrine, I sometimes wonder at my own calmness. I wonder that I can live. But believe me that never for a moment do I forget what I have done. I would have poured out for him my blood like water, if it would have served him. But instead of that, I have given him cause to curse me till the day of his death. Though I still live and eat and sleep, I think of that always. The remembrance is never away from me. They bid those who repent put on sackcloth and cover themselves with ashes. That is my sackcloth, and it is very sore. Those thoughts are ashes to me, and they are very bitter between my teeth. He did not know with what words to comfort her. It all was as she said, and he could not bid her even try to free herself from that sackcloth and from those ashes. It must be so. Were it not so with her, she would not have been in any degree worthy of that love which he felt for her. "'God tempers the wind to the shorn lamb,' he said. "'Yes,' she said, "'for the shorn lamb.' And then she was silent again. But could that bitter, biting wind be tempered for the she-wolf, who in the dead of night had broken into the fold, and with prowling steps and cunning clutch had stolen the fodder from the sheep? That was the question as it presented itself to her. But she sat silent, and refrained from putting it into words. She sat silent, but he read her heart. For the shorn lamb, she had said, and he had known her thoughts as they followed quick, one upon another through her mind. Mary, he said, seating himself now close beside her on the sofa, if his heart be as true to you as mine, he will never remember these things against you. It is my memory, not his, that is my punishment, she said. Why could he not take her home with him, and comfort her, and heal that festering wound, and stop that ever-running gush of her heart's blood? But he could not. He had pledged his word, and pawned his honour. All the comfort that could be his to bestow must be given in those few minutes that remained to him in that room and it must be given too without falsehood he could not bring himself to tell her that the sackcloth need not be sore to her poor lacerated body nor the ashes bitter between her teeth he could not tell her that the cup of which it was hers to drink might yet be pleasant to the taste and cool to the lips what could he tell her of the only source of true comfort others he knew had spoken others who had not spoken in vain. 
he could not now take up that matter and press it on her with available strength for him there was but one thing to say he had forgiven her he still loved her he would have cherished her in his bosom had it been possible he was a weak old foolish man and there was nothing of which he could speak but of his own heart mary he said again taking her hand i wish i wish that i could comfort you and yet on you also have i brought trouble and misery and all but disgrace no my love no neither misery nor disgrace except this misery that i shall be no longer near to you yes i will tell you all now were i alone in the world i would still beg you to go back with me it cannot be it could not possibly be so no for i am not alone she who loves you so well has told me so it must not be but that is the source of my misery i have learned to love you too well and do not know how to part with you if this had not been so i would have done all that an old man might to comfort you but it has been so she said i cannot wash out the past knowing what i did of myself sir peregrine i should never have put my foot over your threshold i wish i might hear its step again upon my floors i wish i might hear that light step once again never sir peregrine no one again ever shall rejoice to hear either my step or my voice or to see my form or to grasp my hand the world is over for me and may god soon grant me relief from my sorrow but to you in return for your goodness for my love in return for your love what am i to say i could have loved you with all my heart had it been so permitted nay i did do so had that dream been carried out i should not have sworn falsely when i gave you my hand i bade her tell you so from me when i parted with her she did tell me i have known but little love he sir joseph was my master rather than my husband he was a good master and i served him truly except in that one thing but i never loved him but i am wrong to talk of this and i will not talk of it longer may god bless you sir peregrine it will be well for both of us now that you should leave me may god bless you mary and preserve you and give back to you the comforts of a quiet spirit and a heart at rest till you hear that i am under the ground you will know that there is one living who loves you well then he took her in his arms twice kissed her on the forehead and left the room without further speech on either side lady mason as soon as she was alone sat herself down and her thoughts ran back over the whole course of her life early in her days when the world was yet beginning to her she had done one evil deed and from that time up to those days of her trial she had been the victim of one incessant struggle to appear before the world as though that deed had not been done 
to appear innocent of it before the world, but beyond all things innocent of it before her son. For twenty years she had striven with a labour that had been all but unendurable, and now she had failed, and every one knew her for what she was. Such had been her life. And then she thought of the life which might have been hers. In her earlier days she had known what it was to be poor, and had seen and heard those battles over money which harden our hearts and quench the poetry of our natures. But it had not been altogether so with her. Had things gone differently with her, it might afterwards have been said that she had gone through the fire unscathed. But the beast had set his foot upon her, and when the temptation came, it was too much for her. Not for herself would she have sinned, or have robbed that old man, who had been to her a kind master. But when a child was born to her, her eyes were blind, and she could not see that wealth ill-gotten for her child would be as sure a curse as wealth ill-gotten for herself. She remembered Rebecca, and with the cunning of a second Rebecca she filched a world's blessing for her baby. Now she thought of all this as pictures of that life which might have been hers passed before her mind's eye. And they were pleasant pictures, had they not burnt into her very soul as she looked at them. How sweet had been that drawing-room at the Cleeve, as she sat there in luxurious quiet with her new friend! How sweet had been that friendship with a woman pure in all her thoughts, graceful to the eye, and delicate in all her ways! She knew now, as she thought of this, that to her had been given the power to appreciate such delights as these. How full of charm to her would have been that life! in which there had been so much of true innocent affection, had the load ever been absent from her shoulders. And then she thought of Sir Peregrine, with his pleasant ancient manner and truth of heart, and told herself that she could have been happy with the love of even so old a man as that, had that burden been away from her. But the burden had never been away, never could be away, then she thought once more of her stern but just son, and as she bowed her head and kissed the rod, she prayed that her release might come to her soon. And now we will say farewell to her, and as we do so the chief interest of our tale will end. I may perhaps be thought to owe an apology to my readers, in that I have asked their sympathy for a woman who had so sinned as to have placed her beyond the general sympathy of the world at large. If so, I tender my apology, and perhaps feel that I should confess a fault. But as I have told her story, that sympathy has grown upon myself, till I have learned to forgive her, and to feel that I, too, could have regarded her as a friend. Of her future life I will not venture to say anything but no lesson is truer than that which teaches us to believe that god does temper the wind to the shorn lamb to how many has it not seemed at some one period of their lives that all was over for them and that to them in their afflictions 
there was nothing left but to die and yet they have lived to laugh again to feel that the air was warm and the earth fair and that god in giving them ever springing hope had given everything how many a sun may seem to set on an endless night and yet rising again on some morrow he tricks his beams and with new-spangled ore flames in the forehead of the morning sky for lady mason let us hope that the day will come in which she also may once again trick her beams in some modest unassuming way and that for her the morning may even yet be sweet with a glad warmth for us here in these pages it must be sufficient to say this last kindly farewell as to lucius mason and the arrangement of his affairs with his stepbrother a very few concluding words will suffice when joseph mason left the office of messrs round and crook he would gladly have sacrificed all hope of any eventual pecuniary benefit from the possession of orley farm could he by doing so have secured the condign punishment of her who had so long kept him out of his inheritance but he soon found that he had no means of doing this in the first place he did not know where to turn for advice he had quarrelled absolutely with dockwrath and though he now greatly distrusted the rounds he by no means put implicit trust in him of hamworth of the rounds he suspected that they were engaged to serve his enemy of dockwrath he felt sure that he was anxious only to serve himself under these circumstances he was driven into the arms of a third attorney and learned from him after a delay that cut him to the soul that he could take no further criminal proceeding against lady mason it would be impossible to have her even indicted for the forgery seeing that two juries at the interval of twenty years had virtually acquitted her unless new evidence which should be absolute and positive in its kind should be forthcoming but there was no new evidence of any kind the offer made to surrender the property was no evidence for a jury whatever it might be in the mind of the world at large and what am i to do asked mason take the goods the gods provide you said the attorney accept the offer which your half-brother has very generously made you generously shouted mason of groby well on his part it is generous it is quite within his power to keep it and were he to do so no one would say he was wrong why should he judge his mother then mr joseph mason went to another attorney but it was of no avail the time was passing away and he learned that lady mason and lucius had actually started for germany in his agony for revenge he had endeavoured to obtain some legal order that should prevent her departure nay exiat regno as he repeated over and over again to his advisers learned in the law but it was of no avail lady mason had been tried and acquitted and no judge would interfere we should soon have her back again you know if we had evidence of forgery said the last attorney then by god we will have her back again said mason but the threat was vain nor could he get any one even to promise him that she could be prosecuted and convicted and by degrees the desire for vengeance slackened as the desire for gain resumed its sway 
Many men have threatened to spend a property upon a lawsuit, who have afterwards felt grateful that their threats were made abortive. And so it was with Mr. Mason. After remaining in town over a month, he took the advice of the first of those new lawyers, and allowed that gentleman to put himself in communication with Mr. Furnival. The result was that by the end of six months he again came out of Yorkshire to take upon himself the duties and privileges of the owner of Orley Farm. And then came his great fight with Dockrath, which in the end ruined the Hamworth attorney and cost Mr. Mason more money than he ever liked to confess. Dockrath claimed to be put in possession of Orley Farm at an exceedingly moderate rent, as to the terms of which he was prepared to prove that Mr. Mason had already entered into a contract with him. Mr. Mason utterly ignored such contract, and contended that the words contained in a certain note produced by Dockrath amounted only to a proposition to let him the land in the event of certain circumstances and results, which circumstances and results never took place. This lawsuit Mr. Joseph Mason did win, and Mr. Samuel Dockrath was, as I have said, ruined. What the attorney did to make it necessary that he should leave Hamworth I do not know, but Miriam, his wife, is now the mistress of that lodging-house to which her own mahogany furniture was so ruthlessly removed. End of chapter 79 of Orley Farm by Anthony Trollope Recording by Leonard Wilson of Springfield, Ohio